So we're continuing in our study to the Gospel of John. I've titled the message this morning, Three Perspectives About Jesus. Three Perspectives About Jesus. Would you, would you pray with me before we jump in to the text? Father, I thank you. Thank you for a microphone that works. And I thank you for uh, the privilege of preaching your word. And Lord, I pray, God, that as we are looking at John chapter 9, as we are um, opening your word, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us out of your word, out of what you have already spoken to us. Show us what it is that you have said to us through your word, and may we be transformed by it. And I pray, God, that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. So who is Jesus? If you were to ask that question to different people, you'd have a different perspective from different people. If I were to ask the majority of people in here who is Jesus, you would say, he is my savior. Who is Jesus? He is my Lord. Who is Jesus? He is my friend. He is, he sticks closer than a brother. Who is Jesus? He is faithful. He is good. He is patient. He is kind. Who is Jesus? He is God. And we would all have different perspectives about Jesus that center upon the reality of our relationship with him. But if you were to ask Different people, maybe that aren't in relationship with Jesus, they would have a different perspective about who Jesus is. And I would say that you can have perspectives about many different people in this life. Today, you're going to watch a football game of Joe Burrow playing against Patrick Mahomes, and you're going to watch that game, those who like football, and you're going to have a perspective about each of those quarterbacks, and you're going to have a perspective about how good they are, how, or, or who's going to win, and, or you, you may have a perspective. All of us have a perspective about um, a, a political leaders, or we have a perspective about our boss, or perspective about our spouse, right? We have perspectives about people, and those are things that we just naturally do. We, we see people, we recognize them, and we, 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 we look at their lives, and we develop a perspective. And as much as we can evaluate human beings and people in our life and have perspectives about them. The most important person in human history that we should think about, that we should have a perspective about, is Jesus. Who is Jesus? It's the most important question that anyone can answer. Who is Jesus? And, and when we look at this concluding section of John 9 here, there's four verses that we're going to unpack from John 9, of the story of the man born blind and how he was healed and how he comes to faith in Jesus, we see the perspective of the Pharisees, don't we? The perspective of the Pharisees concerning Jesus is that Jesus is a blasphemer, that Jesus is not from God, and that, and that Jesus should be arrested and, and taken care of. That's the perspective of, of the Pharisees. We saw the perspective of the parents of the man who was born blind but who was healed. What was the perspective of the parents? Perspective was that they uh, were fearful that they would associate with Jesus and therefore be kicked out of the synagogue. And so their perspective of Jesus was filtered through fear about what might happen to them if they associate with Jesus. And that's a perspective that they have. But what does the perspective of the man who was just healed, what is his perspective about Jesus? And, and I would argue as we look at the text that his perspective is progressive. His perspective starts... In, 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 at one level, and, and what he sees about Jesus and says about Jesus is true. And then it progresses to ultimately declaring the ultimate perspective about who Christ is. 
And there's really three perspectives. So what we're going to have to do is to see three perspectives about Jesus from the man born blind. We're going to have to kind of backtrack in the text for a little bit. We're going to look at this progression of the man born blind. Then we will end our message with the last four verses that we haven't covered yet in John chapter 9. And so three perspectives about Jesus. The, The main point of this message this morning is this in a singular sentence. When a person's spiritual eyes are opened, they will see Jesus correctly and they will declare him Lord. When a person's spiritual eyes are open, spiritual eyes are open, they will see Jesus correctly and they will declare him as Lord. So three perspectives about Jesus from the man that was born blind but was healed. The first one is this. This is his first perspective. Jesus was a real man. Look back. We covered this in in week one. Jesus was a real man. This is what the man born blind said. John 9, uh, verse 10 through 11. So they said to him, uh, the the Pharisees were investigating him and and, and talking to him about this miracle. He says, they, they said to him, then how were your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. How were your eyes opened? How were your eyes opened? What was the answer of the man that was just healed? The man. The man called Jesus. He did it. It it was that man. What's interesting to note is, is that he didn't know what he looked like. Because if you remember, Jesus spit in the mud, spit in the dirt, made mud, put it on his eyes, sent him away blind, and said, go wash. And so when he washed, he received his sight. So he doesn't know what he looks like, so he just simply says, it's that man. It's a man called Jesus. It reminds me, it almost sounds like what you would say when you witness an, an event take place. You know, have you ever been a witness of an event that takes place? Somebody asks you what happened and, and who, was, who took part in it, and you're trying to describe the person that you know was a part of this event or this situation. You may say something like this. It was, it was this guy that did it. You know, the guy named Jesus from, what, what's, 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 what's the city? That guy named Jesus from, from Nazareth, Galilee, born in, who, you know, that man. He said, It was a man. It was that man, Jesus. This is the first perspective that the man that was healed of his blindness had. He was a real man. It was a a real man that that, that did this. Jesus was a real man. This is the first perspective that anybody should have about Jesus. This is a true perspective. Jesus was really a man. God became a man. The doctrine of the incarnation is an essential doctrine of salvation. It's an essential doctrine of our faith that God became a real man, flesh and bone. Jesus was a real man. God took on flesh. The incarnation is mysterious but has essential but, but is essential to our understanding of salvation. You know, the the early church fathers uh, around 451 AD at the council of Chal- Chalcedon said this about the dual nature of Jesus. He was Truly God, and he was truly man. And this is what they said about the dual nature of Christ. Jesus is recognized in two natures, God and man. Without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. The distinction of natures being in no way annulled by union. You tracking with that? The distinction of natures, God and man, they're, no, they're not diminished by union. 
but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. The incarnation, fully God, truly God, truly man. God became a real man. You know, there were early, in, in the early church, there were false teachers that, that rose up and began to teach that, that Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. He really didn't come in the flesh, and it was just a, a spirit that, that, that came and walked amongst uh, uh, Israel in that time and, and manifested himself in spirit form, and that when he died, he didn't really die physically, but he died spiritually, and this false teaching spread amongst the early church, and, 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 and the apostles had to deal with it, and we'll look at some scriptures where they had to deal with this, this, this false teaching that Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. But it's interesting, uh, it, it is noted by by historians, and, and there's some conflicting, depending on your position about Jesus, if you don't like Jesus, you, 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 you come up with your own version of history, but, but it, it is said that there is more historical evidence for the real physical life of Jesus than there is for the life of Julius Caesar. More physical, recorded evidence for the real Jesus that walked the earth for 33 years, that walked the earth, there's more evidence for him, it is said, than there is for the, the real Julius Caesar. Uh, Josephus was a Jewish historian, and he was not pro-Jesus. He was just a Jewish historian. He wrote this about Jesus approximately 62 years after the death of Jesus. This is what Josephus wrote. He said this, now, around this time, Jesus lived, a wise man, for he was a worker of amazing deeds and was a teacher of people who gladly accept the truth. He won over both many Jews and many Greeks. Pilate, when he entered, when, when he heard him accused by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross. But those who had first loved him did not cease doing so. To this day, the tribe of Christians named after him have not disappeared. Right? We've not disappeared yet, have we? But what, what is Josephus saying? A man, a Jewish historian, he's saying Jesus lived. We can attest to it. Pilate interviewed him. He lived and he did many wonderful works and the testimony had spread about. I could have read account after account in, in, in history and, 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 and we can see that Jesus was a real man and this is the testimony of the man born blind. Who did this? Who did this? It was the man. It was the man called Jesus and that is a perspective that is a true perspective that all people must have and must understand that Jesus was a real man. You remember I said earlier that false teachers had risen up and began to teach that Jesus really didn't come in the flesh, real flesh. He was just a spirit manifesting as he was on the earth. And they taught against this. And, and, and you can see it so clearly. John chapter 1, we don't have a reference for it, but you know it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John, and when he begins this gospel, we looked at this in week one of our study through John. John, who was an eyewitness of Jesus, begins his gospel by saying, Jesus was God, and the Word is God, and the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. Philippians chapter 2, we read this in the scripture reading. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think John, as we said there in John 1, he makes a clear declaration that Jesus came in the flesh. God became flesh and bone, and we beheld him. First John, listen to what John says again about this. And again, he's speaking against the heresies of the day. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we have seen, we've looked upon, we've touched with our hands. What, what have they seen? What have they looked upon? What have, what have they heard concerning the word of life? And the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and was made manifest to us. We've seen him, we've touched him, we've heard him. He came in the flesh. Jesus was a real man. He was a real man. It's the first perspective that everyone must have. He was a real man. God became man. God put on human flesh. Jesus was a real man in history that cannot be ignored for long. The real Jesus walked the earth. He's changed human history forever. Preachers and politicians and performers and poets they try to change the biblical Jesus to suit their own desires, but the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the, the historical Jesus, uh, he cannot be changed. He cannot be altered. He will not be done away with. God who became man remains unchanged by human opinion. He was a real man who walked the earth and declared that he was the way. So when we think about this first perspective of the man born blind, that Jesus was a real man, hey, it was the man. It was the man. Jesus, you know. The man Jesus, called Jesus. When we think about his perspective, and I think it's the perspective that we all have, we should have, how does that perspective really impact my life? Today, right now, that Jesus was a real man. Oh, it's got some major implications. Think about it for a second. Look at what Hebrews chapter 2 says. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He couldn't just be a spirit that walked the earth and, manif and ma that was manifesting. He had to be made like his brothers. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And what was the service of God that Christ performed? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. What kind of impact? Does Jesus have as a real man that walked the earth in the service of God? Propitiation means satisfaction. That's what the word propitiation means. It's the word for satisfaction. It means that Jesus paid the price and satisfied the wrath of God when he died on the cross as a real man. Real flesh and blood had to die for sin. And Jesus became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So how does the reality of the incarnation of God becoming a real man impact you and me today? It impacts us through the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. That a perfect, spotless, sinless lamb took the punishment that we deserved. That we deserved. And he took our place and that by faith, in that work, we can be justified. Justification comes because a real man, the God-man, Jesus, took the real punishment in his physical body so that we could be forgiven. Amen? Don't you think that has an 
Incredible impact. What's, it, what's another way it has impact? Because Jesus came in the flesh, we have a faithful high priest who can sympathize with us in our temptations. Look back at Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need. How does this reality of the real man Jesus that walked the earth who faced temptation and trials, it tells us there in Hebrews that we have a high priest who, who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Do you feel your weaknesses today? Do you feel your weaknesses, your failures? We are so weak. We, we are so flawed and we have many, many temptations and trials that we walk through. And Jesus, as a faithful high priest, as a real man, was tempted and tried and tested. And he, and he went through what we went through and, and he, he intercedes for us because he understands what we walk through. Amen? Isn't that good news? And so that we can come before the throne of grace and we can say, God, I know that you know because you carried the weight of the sin of the world on your shoulders. He sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane over the weight of sin, over the weight of our weaknesses, over the weight of our rebellion. He carried the weight on his shoulders so that we can come to him in our weaknesses. Aren't you grateful? Jesus was a real man. The man born blind got that right, didn't he? Check. What's your perspective about Jesus? Oh, he's a figment of people's imagination, or he's just a spirit manifestation. Nope. No, no. Who's Jesus? He's a real man. You know that man. That man. That man, Jesus. He did it. He healed me. What's the second perspective the man born blind had? He got the first one right. Look back to the text. Let's, let's, let's look uh, to John 9, 17. It says, so they said to him again, to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. He's a prophet. Next, the former blind man said, he's a prophet. He speaks for God. What's a prophet? A prophet speaks for God. Look back at the text again, John 9, a little further. Never since the world began, the blind man said, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So, so we see he says he was a real man. Then we see he says he is a prophet that is where? From God. So that's our second perspective. Jesus was a prophet sent from God to speak divine truth. So, so we all must have the first perspective down. Jesus was a real man. But secondly, he's not just like any ordinary man. He was a prophet who spoke for God. He was from God, sent from God to speak divine truth. And this is what this blind man sees. I, I love what D.A. Carson says about the man born blind and his progressive understanding of who Jesus is. He says this, the man's eyes are opening wider. He's beginning to see still more clearly while the eyes of his judges are being clouded over with blinding theological mist. Wow. He's seeing a little bit more clearly. He's recognizing as, he, as he's being interviewed and talked to, he says, yeah, he, it was that man, Jesus. He did it. And then they press him some more, and, and I can imagine he's processing this. He's got to be from God. They're saying he's not from God. What do you mean he's not from God? This guy's a prophet. He comes from God. He, he speaks for, for God. 
How could he do this? Ever since the creation of the world, no one's ever heard of a man that was born blind that was healed. He must be from God. He's not just a man. I know I said earlier he was just a man, but I'm telling you now, he's a prophet, and he's from God. Now that I think about it a little more, he can't just be a man. He must be a prophet. You know, this man could have been thinking that that when he says Jesus was a prophet, he could have been referencing the prophecy from Malachi 4 about God sending the prophet Elijah before the day of the Lord. Maybe he's thinking, maybe this is Elijah. Do you remember when, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some say Moses, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. They're speaking of prophets there. You're a prophet. Some people are saying you're a prophet, right? So this may have been what the man born blind was thinking, but he's on the right track, right? He's recognizing what the, his judges, the Pharisees, don't see or unwilling to see, as we talked about last week, unwilling to see, refusing to acknowledge that Jesus is from God. He's seeing it. He's recognizing it. His rev- the, the revelation is opening up right before him. He's, Jesus speaks for God. I love what John 12, 49 says, what, what, what Jesus said. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Jesus was a prophet sent from God, and he only said and spoke what the Father told him to say and speak. He only did what the Father told him to do. He was a prophet sent from God, not just an ordinary man. And and Jesus came to bring a message, did he not? We're we're here today because of his message, because of his words. If he's a prophet, a holy prophet sent from God, he has a message. He has a message. You know, Jesus had a message before he had a cross. It was his message that led him to the cross. It was because of his words that they crucified him. It was because of his words that they crucified him. Jesus came to speak before he came to die. His message was unlike the message of the rabbis of the day. His message and his words are what got him crucified. His words stirred controversy, but his words also gripped the hearts of men. His his words gripped the hearts of men. His words angered the Pharisees and angered the religious, but his words also gripped people. Look at Matthew chapter 7. I love this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, at his message. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Can you imagine what it was like to listen to the greatest teacher that ever walked the planet? I would not venture to ask you how great you think I am as a teacher because I don't want my pride to be crushed. But I can tell you for sure that if Jesus stood up here and began to open up his word as the word, we would be astonished too. We, we'd never want to leave. Jesus spoke, and his words astonished people. They just were astonished. Listen to this guy. He speaks as one who has authority. The scribes, they speak, and, and there's no substance there. This guy speaks, and it's like, whoa. I'm astonished at this guy. I love this. The Pharisees sent officers to arrest Jesus. And the officers go to arrest Jesus, and look what happens. The officers then came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, they went to arrest Jesus and came back empty-handed. Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke 
like this man. The Pharisees answered, have you also been deceived? Are you also under his spell? They're like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, guy. I don't, I, I, I don't know, bro, but no one ever spoke like him. His words were different. They sounded different. They felt different. There was a weight to him. There's a power to him. There was a truth to them. Have you ever heard words that had the ring of truth to them? The ring of truth. You do know what that means? The ring, it, it, it just rings in your ears. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Have you ever listened to a preacher or somebody, a politician, and you hear their words and you go, ugh, <laughs> that's not true. That's fake news. Right? You heard that, that politician that lied about all of his credentials? Said he graduated from this college with this DPA, this degree. It, he never did. It, it didn't have the ring of truth, and they investigated, and it was, he was a, he's a liar. You ever been around somebody like that? It's just slimy. It feels icky. Why? Why? Because, because what they say doesn't have the ring of truth. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. Slimy, false teaching, false prophets teach, and they're slimy, untruth. They're slimy words. When they speak them, people are attracted to them, and we wonder because we've been attracted to the words of Christ and we are drawn to truth that changes and you wonder how could people listen to that? Because it's slimy, it's not true, right? The former blind man, when pressed a little further, he's not just a man. His words are different. It's obvious he's from God and that he speaks for him. There's something about him so, so my, my, my question is this, have we progressed like the former blind man from John 9? Has our perspective about Jesus progressed from believing that Jesus lived to being convinced that he speaks divine truth? Maybe someone you're here today, and yeah, you'll say, yeah, Pastor Ben, I agree. I, I can study history like, like you can, and, 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 and I believe Jesus was a real man, but I, I, have you progressed from believing he was a real man to believing that he speaks divine truth? It's a progression that everyone must make in their, in, their, in their journey of seeing God for who he really is, seeing Christ for who he really is. Have you made that progression? Do you hear the ring of truth in the words of Jesus? Do you hear the ring of truth in the words of Jesus? Are, are you like the two disciples do the, that were on the road to Emmaus? Do the words of Jesus start a fire in your soul? Do you remember that story? The two disciples, after the resurrection, Jesus hid his reality of his appearance from them. And they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking to Jesus, and they don't know it's Jesus. And they're saying, have you heard what's happened? Jesus was crucified, and it's terrible. And Jesus, I can imagine, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. I heard. Yep, pretty amazing. He said, let me tell you about that, Jesus. You remember what it says? He began with the prophets, the law and the prophets, and he explained to them about himself. And notice what they said 
after they parted ways. They pleaded with him, come, come with us. We, you need to come with us. And this is why they said that. Look at Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Do the words of Christ start a fire in your heart, in your soul? Do his words start a fire in your soul? Are you in love with Christ and his words and the truth of the gospel? Have they started a fire in your heart today? The man called Jesus, he did this. It was him, but he's not just a man, the man born blind said, the healed man said. He's not just a man, he's a prophet. He speaks different. He sounds different. There's something about him. He has the ring of truth in his words. In his words. Again, he's never seen him. He's only heard him. He's only heard him. It's not by happenstance that he says he's a prophet because he's only heard him. He's never seen him. He's only heard his words. He talks different. He speaks divine revelation. He's a prophet sent from God to speak divine revelation. Lastly this morning, what is the, the, the final conclusion, the ultimate perspective concerning Christ? Well, it's simply this. Jesus is Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. Look back to the text or look to the text. This is the, the first section of the verses that we've not covered yet. John 9, verses 35 through 38, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. The Pharisees said, okay, you're out of here, dude. And when he had found him, a little side note, could preach a whole sermon on when he found him. Isn't that good about Jesus? When he found him. Where did he find you? Where did he find you? Where were you at? Who kicked you out of their house? Right? What, what pit did you find yourself in that Christ came and found you? you? You know, you don't save yourself. Christ saves you. He saves you. He pulls you up. You don't pull yourself up. He finds us. When he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. Lord, I believe Jesus is Lord. You see the progression? He's just a man. You know, it was the man called Jesus. He healed me. Pressed a little further. His eyes are opening wider. He's beginning to realize, wait a minute, he can't just be a man. He's a prophet. He's from God. Only someone from God can do what he's done and say what he says. And now he makes the ultimate declaration. It's the declaration that we all are accountable to make, that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. A few things to note here, based upon the beginning of this conversation. Jesus says to the man born blind, do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus identifies himself not as a man, but as the Son of God. Jesus is declaring he is divine. He's saying to this man that was born blind, do you believe in the Son of God? He's saying he's divine. He is the eternal son of God. You know, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question in the Gospels, and they they said, who do you make yourself out to be? Like, who are you? Who, who, Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus was unmistakable in who he declared himself to be. He he said it here in John chapter 10. We'll get to this here in a couple of weeks. The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, Jesus, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. That's why he died. That's why he was crucified. 
That's why the Pharisees crucified him, because of his declaration that he was God. Another thing to point out, Jesus said to the healed man, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Do you believe in the Son of God? Where is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And he says, Jesus says, you've both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Again, the blind man had never seen Jesus. This is the first time that he's seeing Jesus. So just picture this. A man he does not know who he is walks up to the man that was born blind, the man that had actually healed him, and walks up and says, do you believe in the Son of God? He could have said, why are you asking me that? Like, who are you? Because he didn't know who he is yet. And Jesus' answer, I think, is so amazing. He says, you have both seen him, and he is the one talking to you. When I, when I read that this week studying, and this, is, this, is, this is so amazing what we see here. He says, he says, in essence, he's saying, do you recognize my voice? Do you recognize my voice? I'm the one that was talking to you. I'm the one that sent you on the way to go, to go put the mud on your eyes and to go wash. Do you? I'm the one talking to you. You see me, and I'm the one talking to you. Do you recognize my voice? The voice called you earlier is the same voice talking to you now. It reminds me of John chapter 10. Again, we'll get to this in a couple weeks. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and they follow me. He heard his voice. It's, it's that voice. Yeah, I recognize. He put two and two together. Yeah, I can see him, but yeah, I recognize that that's the voice of the man who sent me to wash. He put two and two together, and he said, Lord, I believe. What was his response? Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Another side note that's not in my notes, Jesus allowed him to worship him. Some of the other apostles, when they would do miracles, people would would, want to worship them, and they'd say, no, no, no. Jesus didn't stop it because he knew who he was, right? Lord, I believe. That, that, That word Lord, another thing to note about this is the word Lord. The word Lord comes from the Greek word kurios, the word Lord means master, owner, one who exercises authority over. What is the blind man that was healed declaring about Jesus? The man that he sees and he matches his sight with the words that he hears. This is God. He is Lord. He is my master. He is my owner. And I worship you. Jesus is Lord. This is his declaration. He's not just a man. He wasn't just a good teacher or preacher, or prophet sent from God. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He is Lord, and he is God. This is Jesus. And this man makes the ultimate declaration and the ultimate progression. He's a man, he's a prophet, he's from God, and he's Lord. He's God. You see this in Scripture, don't we? What about at his birth, in his incarnation? Do you remember Luke chapter 2? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is what? Christ the Christ the Lord in his incarnation, Christ the Lord. From the beginning, he came to be the Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord of creation over all creation. He's Lord. What about at the end and the culmination of God's eternal plan? Revelation 17, they will make war on the Lamb. The Lamb is Christ, right? And the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is Lord of lords in his incarnation and in the culmination of his eternal plan. He's Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is ruling and reigning right now. He is the sovereign authority over all of creation. He's in perfect authority. 
Have any of you dads ever gone on a trip, business trip, by yourself, and you have sons, in particular sons, you could do this with daughters too, but let's say you have a younger son and just pretend he's five years old and, and you put that son in charge when you go on your trip and you say, listen, son, you got to take care of your mommy and you got to take care of the house and you gotta, you gotta, you're the man of the house. Is that not what we say? You're the man of the house. Boy, it makes them feel big, doesn't it? And they walk around, they poke out their chest, they're strutting around. And, and you know what gets dangerous about that, though, is, is all of a sudden it starts getting to their head. And mama, who's really in charge, starts to bark some rules. And the little five-year-old thinks, wait a minute. Somebody told me that I'm the man of the house. I make the rules around here, honey, sit down. <laughs> we eating, we, we eating donuts for dinner. <laughs> right? That's what I think of when I think of earthly rulers. They walk around strutting themselves, poking their chest out with a borrowed authority, telling people what to do, acting like they're the king of the house. But they're, they're really just under a borrowed authority. You know who has perfect authority? It's Christ. He's the only one who has perfect, true authority, the only one who deserves authority because he is the one who created authority. He, he is authority in the flesh. That's what they said, right? We hear him teaching. He teaches as one who has authority. He has authority. He is the only rightful ruler. He is a sovereign Lord over all. So, so again, the question is this. Have you come to the same conclusion that the man that was blind did? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Do you, do you worship him as the master of your life? That's a big question. Because here's the truth. Some people wrongly believe that they can have a relationship with Jesus that allows themselves to remain in charge. And they want to walk around poking out their trust like that five-year-old who was put in charge. And they want to say, well, I, I, I got saved but I'm going to make Jesus my, my Lord later on in life, right? I'll get saved now, but I'll experience the things of the world for a while, and then I'll, I'll make him Lord later. I'll put him in charge later. And they live their life with their chest poked out, thinking they're going to do things their way, and then later, okay, God, I'll, I'll give you control. That's not the picture of the relationship that Jesus has called us to. Lord, Lord, I believe. You must declare him Lord when you believe. Not, not just Savior, but Lord. He is your Savior, yes, but he is your Lord. He is your master. He is in charge. He is, you're not just, he's not just your co-pilot. You've seen the bumper stickers, Jesus is my co-pilot. If you have it, take it off your car. Get a new one. Maybe we can start printing them here at Living Word Church. Jesus is the pilot. He owns the car. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all in your life. I heard this song this week that I hadn't heard before. And I think it puts into words this picture of Jesus being the Lord of our life. It's a song called First Things First. It's by a group called Consumed by Fire. Listen to these words. All the things that I have held dear, the vanities that whispered in my ear, what would I do if they all disappeared Riches and fame and all that they could buy. I've come to find they never truly satisfy. What would I gain if my soul's the price? I don't want to love what the world loves. 
I don't want to chase what the world does. I only want you. First things first, I seek your will. Not my own. Surrender all my wants to you. Keep the first things first to live your truth. Walk in your ways. Set my eyes. Lord, I fix my face on you. All my desires reversed to keep the first things first. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Three perspectives from a man who was blind physically. It was this man who's a prophet from God and who's Lord. And now the conclusion, that, that, that's a great conclusion to the story that man that was born blind, the true reason for the miracle is his salvation. That's the true miracle is he's born again now. He's a believer in Jesus Christ, but we have a, a sad conclusion. Let's look at the last three verses, the conclusion of this account in John 9. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Wow. It's a little mystery what Jesus is saying here, right? What's he saying? We can see, but we can't see. Those who are blind. What's, what's this paradox he's saying here? And it's interesting. Some of the Pharisees heard and, 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 he, and they asked him, is he talking about us? Is he saying we're the ones that are blind? Is he talking about us? What was Jesus' response when they asked the question, are we also blind? He says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So here's the point of what Jesus is saying, this riddle that he's saying. The subject is no longer about physical sight now. The discussion is no longer about the man born blind. It's now about a group of spiritual leaders who are spiritually deceived. Jesus switched the subject. He just had a man gloriously born again that declared him as Lord. Now he switches the subject. The Pharisees say, is he saying that we're blind? And Jesus is saying, yes, I'm saying you're blind. Our, Lord, our Lord's reply was a paradox. If you were blind, you would be better off. But you claim to see, therefore you're guilty. You claim to see, therefore you're guilty. Blindness, listen, this is what Jesus is saying to them. Blindness at least would be an excuse for not knowing what was going on. But they did know what was going on, didn't they? They saw it with their physical eyes. For them to be blind would have been a great excuse, Lord, we, 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 we can't see. But they did. And because they could see who Jesus was, and because they did refuse, Jesus said, it would be better that you were blind. You wouldn't be guilty. But because you do see me, because you do recognize my power, and you do hear my words, and you willfully reject, your guilt remains. And you are truly blind. I love how Warren Wiersbe puts it. The only people who cannot see the light are blind people. And those who refuse to look, those who make themselves blind, the beggar was physically blind and spiritually blind, yet both his eyes and his heart were open. Why? Because he listened to the word, believed it, obeyed, and experienced the grace of God. The Pharisees had good physical vision, but they were blind spiritually. Had they listened to the word and sincerely considered the evidence, they too would have believed on Jesus and been born again. But they willfully stayed in their blindness.
So what about us today? Where are we? What is our perspective about Jesus? Was he just a man of history and no more? Was he just a man of history who spoke divine truth and that was it? Just a good teacher and we just follow his ways and and he makes our life better temporarily in this earth? What is our perspective today? That's the most important perspective is your perspective, not my perspective. I'm telling you my perspective, and I've told you the perspective of the Pharisees. I've told you the perspective of of the parents, and I've told you the perspective of the man born blind. But what what is your perspective of Jesus? It's the most important perspective. Do we believe? Listen, listen, hear me. I'm, 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 I'm concluding here. Do we believe the truth about Jesus' substitutionary work on the cross and his death-destroying resurrection? Do we believe that? Do we believe that today? What's your perspective today? Do we worship him as Lord today? The call today is to worship Jesus as Lord. To worship him as Lord. And maybe there's some of you here today, you've been living as though you're still in charge of your life, following your own way. But following Jesus means that you live your life for him, for his glory, and you do things his way. You submit to his way. Some of you have been fighting it hard. You've been fighting it hard. You've been resisting the work of the Lord in your life. And you may be a believer and and you've been fighting it hard. To be a believer means that you quit fighting and you surrender and you say, Jesus, you are Lord over every area of my life. You are Lord. I know you were a real man and I know you died on the cross and I know you were raised on the third day. And I I know you're my Savior, but I want you to be my Lord today. I don't want just a surface relationship with you. I I want to live for you. I want to live for you. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you find yourself today. But these are three perspectives about Jesus. And all are true. All are true. But the final perspective in the man born blind is the one that we all must wrestle with. Will Jesus be Lord of our life? Or are we going to be like the blind Pharisees? And are we going to reject? It's up to us. We have to respond. The call is today to respond to the call of Christ. Would you, would you bow your heads today? Thank you, Jesus. So I, I don't know exactly where everyone is today, but Lord, I pray that wherever each individual finds themselves, Lord, I pray that you, that you, would, you would reach them right where they are. And I pray, God, that you would allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate their heart that they would see you for who you are and they would declare you as the Lord of of their life today. And we thank you for the truth of your gospel that changes us, that that makes us brand new. And we thank you for that truth, for your word and what it does. So I want to speak to you for a moment with your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never done that, you've never confessed him as Lord and Savior, today you can do that. You You can leave today born again like the man that was born blind. You can have your perspective changed and you can see that Jesus is God, that he was raised from the dead and he died for your sins. If that's you here today, you can, you can, you can confess him today. But if that's you, if, just, if you just want to lift your hand, you want to say, that's me. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need Jesus as my savior and I want to declare him as Lord today. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Is there anybody here today, anybody in this room? You want to declare Jesus as Lord today. Amen. 
Maybe you're here today and, and you're a believer. You're a believer, but there's areas of your life that you've not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. You, you're, you're holding on to things and he's work, trying to work in you and, and you're holding on to some stuff. Today, you need to surrender all. Give him all, every area of your life.